Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're continuing to study God's mission, my mission, in the fourth quarter of this 2023 year. And we're on lesson four now called Sharing God's Mission. So I, well, I put the talking points together this week. Mm-hmm. And we're basically kind of picking up where we left off last week. Uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham. Well, last week was the call to mission, and now it's... Right. So it's that call that he's going to get you out of the comfort zone, and that and then, one of the illustrations was Abraham and his call out. That's right. And now we're going to pick up on, now what do we do once we go on that call? And we're going to look at the life of Abraham again. All right. So I don't have any other commentary that we need to make before we dive in, unless you have something else. Well, we talked about this beforehand a little bit. It's it's um, easier sometimes to just go with what we're used to. And I know that, like, if I look at sharing God's mission, I've sh- I, I personally have shared a lot on this. So I might have gone a whole... I probably wouldn't have gone to the story of Abraham and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, there are a couple things that, that I think about when I see where the lesson's going with that. Number one, I would encourage our teachers... You know, there's there's... there's one mode of teaching the lesson where it's just reading through the quarterly. I don't, I don't recommend that. Sure. But there's another mode where it's like I'm just going to do my own thing, mm-hmm. and it's just and, get and, rid and of the quarterly altogether. Practically, and so I think it's important that the teachers, even though this might not be the, 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 the their typical line of thought, would try to immerse themselves in the line of thought a little bit and and say what can I do and how can I personalize this and mm-hmm. make it my own when I'm teaching it. Uh, that's one way that we draw, we under, our, grow in our understanding as teachers. Sure. So I think that's just a, a, a word I want to give to our, our Sabbath school teachers this week. And, um, yeah. Okay. There's another thought, but it escapes me. So. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll come, come back. back to you. If yep. the Lord wants it there, it'll bring it up to mind. But before we get into our talking points, can you start us off with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and being called into mission. And Lord, as we... Uh, go through this talking points lesson. I do pray that as our Sabbath schools across this world are studying this lesson, that our people would be have a, that fire for mission rekindled, and that they would go forth in the proclamation of the gospel. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Take us through our talking points this Yes. Week. Well, our little lesson outline says, This week we'll examine the experience of Abraham, particularly as recorded in Genesis 18 and 19, to draw important lessons for soul winning today. So we're looking at the illustration of Abraham's life, particularly in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole story, that narrative there, and looking for application. Now, I was delighted when I read Sabbath Afternoons. Delighted? Delighted. The very mm. last sentence of Sabbath Afternoon. Why don't you read that for us? What's it say? Yes, uh, through this chapter, throughout this chapter, three great spiritual qualities of Abraham are revealed. Hospitality, love, and prayer. Qualities that can greatly aid in mission as well. So they said, we're going to be looking at three specific aspects or qualities of Abraham from this lesson that will apply to our mission as well. Hospitality, love, and prayer. And wouldn't you know, that's exactly what they did. Sunday's hospitality, Monday's love for everyone, Tuesday's a call to prayer. And it helped frame the talking points. So the lesson mm-hmm. actually kind of already anticipated. There's three main things we're looking at this week. And I thought how handy that would fit nicely with our talking points. That reminded me of my other thing that I was going to say. And Here that is. is that there are the theme throughout Scripture is a salvation of man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, so you really what can't that go wrong. means <laughs> is, no, but what that means is 
there are stories like, well, I don't know about this destruction of Sodom, like destruction of Sodom for soul mm-hmm. winning. Everything has a soul winning element. Amen. And and this helps to bring that out. And I've told people this before when reading through the writings of Ellen White. Like you can't read any of her books or chapters on anything that doesn't have a soul winning element, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that is the mission of the church. That was the mission of Christ. So I just think that's important that we keep in mind. And throughout this quarter, maybe that we gain a clear understanding that mission is not a a tack on piece of or this is one passage over here talking about it right well you could literally take sharing god's mission and almost illustrate it with any story in the bible any book of the bible and say like what do we see here and there's going to be lessons for us that's right so the lessons we're drawing out from this week are yeah the story of abraham right well from abraham we can learn number one we should practice disinterested benevolence Okay. That's going to come primarily from Sunday's lesson and looking at Abraham's hospitality there. Talking point number two, we should love people regardless of their sin. Now that's going to be in Monday, Thursday, and Friday. That's kind of a, a through line through this week's lesson. Of course, the destruction of Sodom and you expect to relating to sin, right? Right. And then talking point number three, we should pray earnestly for the lost. That's going to come from Tuesday and Wednesday's lesson. All right. So let's start off with talking point number one. We should practice disinterested benevolence. Okay, let's go to our let Bibles. Me pause you there. Yes. And disinterested benevolence is a very Adventist term. It is. So what does that mean? Well, let's break it down, and we're going to talk about it more specifically in just a minute. Mm-hmm. But just as an overview, disinterested benevolence, when it was originally, and this is a phrase you can find in the writings of Ellen White over yeah. and over again. But it's the idea of being good. Benevolent means good. Doing good for others, right? And doing it disinterestedly. It means you're not interested in people. Right. I'm, it, means, it means I'm not interested <laughs> in what they can offer me, what they can pay me, what, what they I can do in return, it. right? It's not like mm-hmm. that. It's doing good for the sake of doing good, right? Yeah. And because so, it's right. Because it's right. So we like should people. practice that. And Abraham did that. Why don't you read yeah. Genesis 18, the first five verses there? Sure. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. And the story goes on about how they make the food, and he stands by Mm -hmm. where they eat, and he takes care of their needs. And what's interesting here is... And there was quite a preparation, too. He didn't just open the refrigerator and put something out or put it in the microwave. No, he said, I'm going to prepare you a meal. Stay here, please. Enjoy the hospitality of my home. And, And he's in the heat of the day out by the door of the tent mm. looking for opportunities right and up come these strangers and he goes out to meet them he offers them more than you would expect mm-hmm. so he's eager he's i put it in, he was zealously hospitable he was yeah. not just passively so right now hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 interestingly enough makes allusion to this story and it gives a counsel for all of us hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 now this text was not mentioned in the in the uh, study guide this week, but how could you not go to 13 verse sure. 2? Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some <laughs> have unwittingly entertained angels. Right. So clearly like that's Abraham. a reference to Abraham. That's like right. He's like, this is, you may be aware of this because you don't know who you're doing. And by the way, 
when we get to Matthew chapter 25. Mm. We're going to come to this in a minute, but this is one of those evidences right. of genuine Christian character. You didn't even know it was me, Jesus said, and you still offered me thing. Thus, you're a part... You, it's evident that your character would fit in with the society of heaven. That's right. Right. So it's an evidence of Christian character. It's an example for all believers. And there's this little statement. Uh, um, why don't you read Acts of the Apostles, page 551. Yes, it says the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. It is the atmosphere of this love surrounding the soul of the believer that makes him a savor of life unto life and enables God to bless his work. Mm. So clearly, if we're going to have successful soul-winning labor and mission outreach, we need to start by being not just passively nice to people, but actively, purposefully, Mm -hmm. zealously hospitable and practice that disinterested benevolence. Now, you had mentioned that we need to de-advent this word a little Mm -hmm. bit and kind of tell us what it means in real terms. And I think that though it's an Adventist term used primarily in our history Mm -hmm. in church circles, that we as Adventists don't even understand what it means. Mm -hmm. We might say it a bunch, but familiarity doesn't mean we understand it, right? I think there's people out there who have this idea that disinterested benevolence, when we invoke that term in terms of soul winning, means I'm going to be nice to people, I'm going to practice, quote, friendship evangelism, I'm going to smile and be kind. And I and don't that's care the if they ever become church members that's or right. join the, no know, strings give attached. heart to Christ. Right. right. Well, that, my friends, I don't think is disinterested benevolence. I think that's uninterested, uninterested benevolence. benevolence right? I, I'm not even interested in your soul at all. <laughs> disinterested means I'm not in it for what you can do in return or for you can pay me or what advantage mm-hmm. I get. And if you turn anything else down, that's on you. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not offended by that. But let's not for a moment pretend that I have no interest in your soul. That's right. I have every interest in seeing you in the kingdom of God, and I'd like no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> it goes like this. That I, I don't, I'm not interested in you becoming a, a church member. I just, you know, I'm interested in showing you the love of Christ. <laughs> okay. Like, what is that yeah. if it doesn't include salvation? Well, plus, if so I want to connect you to Christ, it's going to be through his body, which is the church, and that's the whole reason the church was established to reach people. Come on. But you can't express that, I just want to show, we, what we need to do is just show love to people. If you're not including the eternal salvation, that's not very loving. Amen. So, <laughs> Well, in Genesis chapter 18, one of the things... And, the, and in this examples you've given, the disinterest of benevolence, whether it be of Abraham or Jesus talking in Matthew 25 or whatever... Um, led to conversions. Yes, that was the point. And this is what God saw in Abraham, commenting on this in Genesis 18, verse 19. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I'm already there, so why don't I read that, and you'll read the next day. But it says, For I have known him, this is the Lord speaking about Abraham and his character traits, right? For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. Mm -hmm. Notice it's not just his children. It's his whole sphere of influence, his household after him. Why? That they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So the Lord saw in Abraham a leader, not just of his wife and children, his nuclear family, but his entire 
everywhere that he had influence, he was going to be working for the salvation of souls and training right. them in the way of the Lord. So the household, I mean, not just his family, but the household of the 10 or 12 servants he had. No, please. Now, <laughs> let's de- dig a little bit more. And this is from Sunday's lesson, but it's mm-hmm. uh, taken from Education, page 280, I mean, yes, 187. It says, Abraham's great household consisted of more than a thousand souls, many of them heads of families, and not a few, but newly converted from heathenism. Mm. It was almost like he was the mayor of a small town. You yeah, know? He, it's Abraham town. <laughs> Wherever he pitched his tent, he set up beside it the altar for sacrifice and worship. When the tent was removed, the altar remained, and many a roving Canaanite, whose knowledge of God had been gained from the life of Abraham his servant, tarried at that altar to offer sacrifice to Jehovah. So Abraham his God's servant, not the Canaanite's servant. Right, but you get the picture here that here, you're introduced to Abraham who's looking out for strangers, and he brings them in. He's gonna, but mm-hmm. do you think he was like, all right, well, good enough, n- never mind. Or is he going to make yeah. it mention of God and invite them to the service mm-hmm. and tell them about stories? Sure. And his whole household, thousand people. And right, the roving Canaanite whose knowledge of God had been gained from the life of Abraham. Not, right. not Abraham was a good guy. Exactly. And so Abraham wasn't God, trying just... to win people to himself, but through him to win people to Christ. He was mm-hmm. purposeful. And so I want to push back against the the common, you know, well, let's just practice random acts of kindness. Yes. Just be sweet. It's like, let's let's drop the random out. Let's be more strategic and purposeful and lead people to Jesus. That was the mindset of Abraham. So we should practice that kind of disinterested benevolence. Talk point number one. Amen. Let's go to talk point number two. We should love people regardless of their sin. Mm-hmm. Now, Abraham, as evidenced later in the story when the Lord reveals his plans for Sodom, right. he immediately goes into, hey, hey, let's talk about this. Maybe, is there a way we can, and he starts to kind of intercede, uh, intercede for them and, and, and on their behalf, right? He loved these people, but you could say, well, he just didn't know these people. Abraham knew exactly who the people mm. of the plain were, right? Um, well, this comes after the whole battle of the kings and, yep. and him having having to rescue Lot and what have you. Yeah, he was intimately acquainted with the area and Mm -hmm. the leaders and the people. Yeah, he purposely... Now, sometimes I have read the story of the dividing Mm -hmm. of Lot and Abraham as, oh, Lot took the best land and left poor Abraham up in the hills, but he was okay, he was so humble. But I think even if Abraham had his first choice, he wouldn't choose to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Or pitch his towards towards or near, right? So Abraham knew to avoid that land. He had experienced the rescue of Lot and interacting in battle and then even mm-hmm. talked to the king of Sodom. And one of the points you had brought up earlier is that when they offered out of thanks to give him things, he was like, no, you keep right. your, I'll take my people, but you keep yourself. I don't want any of your stuff. I don't want to say that you made mm-hmm. me rich. And when the Lord said he was going to destroy Sodom, Abraham's response was, well, surely there's a lot of good people down there. He he knew, like, That's let's right. start at 50, but you know what? I need to hedge my bet. Let's get it down to 10, right? He knew that this is a land full of wickedness, yet there he is praying right. for them, right? I mean, to your point, he never, the number never would have changed. Like, um, what about 45 people? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? Like, that never would have happened if his perception of Sodom is, they're mostly good folks. right. 
it was only because he keep keeps getting lower and thinking, I don't know if the Lord's going to find that many people. Oh, hold on a minute. Yeah, like, what 30, about? How about let's right. take it down, right? So again, he was very aware of the wickedness. Right. Of in fact, so much so that in my, and this is maybe a little sanctified imagination, but you think he gets that number down to 10. Why didn't he go to five? Why, well, he's thinking, well, there's Lot and his wife, and they've got a couple of daughters at home still, but then there's the three daughters who got married. They got, okay, We've there's got to have. They got one house, one household, right, of 10. So he understands. Anyway, Abraham, continuing on our, t- our lesson here, understood the necessity of divine justice against sin. So when God came to him mm-hmm. and said, we're going to destroy Sodom in the cities of the plain, he doesn't say, that is wrong. How dare you? He recognizes that, yeah, that's, that makes sense. But at the same time, he believed that the wicked of Sodom should be spared for the sake of the few righteous inhabitants. Mm-hmm. He, if you notice, he doesn't just pray that the Lord would save the righteous out and then go ahead and destroy all the wicked. He's like, Lord, I know they're wicked. And you're absolutely right to, that sin needs to be dealt with. At the same time, mm-hmm. there could be a few good ones in there. And for the sake of the good ones, why don't we spare the rest of them too? The idea being that surely that even 10 mm-hmm. could maybe influence mm-hmm, that's right. some other ones too. And we could make it 12, maybe 15. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could grow from 10 mm-hmm. and maybe start something. But how about that? Like he's, well. He's thinking like a soul winner. He is thinking like a soul winner, right? Abraham knew. This is from the lesson on Monday. It says, Abraham knew that human beings always can return to God in repentance and so to Abraham, the saving that happens to these cities would give him, give them a chance mm-hmm. to repent. And why don't you read Patriot right. 140. This is also found in the quarterly on Friday. It says, while he loathed the sins of that corrupt city, he desired that the sinners might be saved. His deep interest for Sodom shows the anxiety that we should feel for the impenitent. And that really should, not for the penitent, not for the people who are open to spiritual things. Impenitent means, no, I don't want it. Leave me alone. Slam yes. the door and you would. The anxiety that we should feel for the impenitent. We should cherish hatred of sin, but pity and love for the sinner. You know, and I, I can't help but think, and I'm certainly not getting political, but just look at the societal landscape that we're living in right now. We have such division, and it's, it, 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 it is built right now. Even among Christians. Even among Christians, even among, uh, you know, countrymen and, and citizens of the same mm-hmm. town, the same area. There's such, that if something goes wrong with some, in someone's life, when we're, when it's directly because of a thing that, like, I told you so, I knew it that way. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for us to be like, well, let me get what you, what's coming to you. Mm-hmm. You see someone who might not be practicing the health laws and all of a sudden they have a health crisis. You're like, well, I mean, that comes from the eating and the drinking mm-hmm. and the smoking. Mm-hmm. Do we truly love them? Or we're like, yeah, we're, I'm right and you're wrong. You know, like, right. We shouldn't have a gloating kind of like, I mean, Abraham could No, have, you think about what would happen. How would most people respond, even in the church today, if the Lord said, you know what, all those people that disagree with you, I'm wiping them out. Like, well, I can see that's probably... Would you be interceding <laughs> and say, Lord, if there's only, you know, yeah. 10? Yeah. No, we'd be like, okay. Well, I mean, you think <laughs> I mean, about Let's make it intensely practical, even in the yeah. Seventh Adventist Church. Right. If we want to say it's it's not like, oh, shocking news that there's division in the church. Right. And some we might say, oh, the liberals in the church. Oh, and they're violating this. And that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Lord's going to take it. Or the other side, like those fundamentalist, rigid, yeah. conservative, whatever. They're going to get. And so if something bad happened to one of those groups, you could be like, see, you didn't have your doctrine right. Or see, you didn't have your life right. 
this should not be how we view life. Well, we would probably initially say, well, that's too bad. But? (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, I mean... It needed to happen. Right. But Abraham shows us these are wicked people who had to rescue his family Mm -hmm. from, and he's still pleading for their salvation, right? That's right. And... The lesson brought this out, and it's a, a little bit of a non sequitur with this particular talking point, but I thought it fit in basically well here, and it was from uh, Thursday's lessons about one of the defining qualities of Abraham's entire life was his submission to God's will. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds like, well, he's arguing with God here. He's not submitting to his will. But let's think about what is God's will for the lost? Does God want them all to die and Abraham's just the nice one? No. We are told in many places, I'm thinking of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering, right? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The heart of God wants those, those lost people to be saved just as much, mm-hmm. but then the very next says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. So somehow God in his own character longs for the salvation of every wicked individual, yet at the same time has a responsibility and duty to deal with the sin problem. Abraham is simply recognizing that and being submissive to God's will. So we see this in his intercession. Mm -hmm. Lord, I know your heart is to save them. Surely we can do it. And he's working with it. But then in chapter 19, the next morning he looks out. Mm-hmm. And I had to think he went to bed thinking, all right, 10, yeah. at least we got Lot. We got his family. Mm-hmm. There's one good household. And he wakes up in the mm-hmm. morning and he sees smoke rising. Mm-hmm. And he realized there weren't even 10. And does he go back and argue with God and say, it's not fair, but no. He understands that it's not God's first will that people be destroyed, but at the same time, it's a necessity And that's why the Bible calls it his strange act. And Abraham recognized the justice and the mercy of God, and he tried to act that out in his own life. Well, what's also fascinating in that is he hadn't received any memo that Lot was spared. Nope. And yet he was, he he had resigned himself to accept God's judgment. Right. At the same time, we see the mercy of God that God did spare as many as he possibly could. So I'm being yes. to Abraham. So it's fascinating to me, like in the whole beginning of the story, Abraham, when he appeals to God, you think about, and this goes into your next section where we pray for the lost, because he was interceding in prayer, that when Abraham comes to God, you know, we always talk about how we get bring God his promises and we plead the promises of God. Nothing's been written in Scripture yet. Mm. It's interesting. So what Abraham brings before God... He doesn't have a psalm to quote. (laughs) But what he does bring before God in chapter 18, verse 25, is surely the judge of all the earth will do right. Right. And so, and he, despite how it turned out, he rested in it, the whole thing. And when he saw the smoke, he knew God had done what was right. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that he didn't know the outcome of Lot. Right. But God had done everything God could for the lost. And it's interesting, in uh, in chapter 12, 19 verse 29 it says and it came to pass when god destroyed the cities of the plain notice this that mm-hmm. god remembered abraham mm-hmm. and sent lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which lot had dwelt 
So why was Lot saved? Because remember the angel grabs him by the hand and drags him out. It wasn't just because Lot was inherently a good enough guy, but Abraham is interceding for him and pleading, and the the Lord honors that prayer of the righteous man, which availeth much. Which takes us to number three. That's right. We should pray earnestly for the lost. Now, the lesson brought out in Tuesday in paragraph one that the dialogue between Abraham and God is a type or representation of intercessory prayer. And I don't know why that was such a mm-hmm. an aha little moment for me there, but I'd never considered that what we're seeing there is a model of prayer. Yeah. That Abraham's conversation with God was not just a one-off thing that he got to enjoy, but this is the template for how we should speak to God too. He mm-hmm. just happened to do it face to face, right? But he's thinking of the of the lost, he's honoring God as the judge of the world, but still, Lord, how can we it's intercessory prayer. And uh I put in the notes that Abraham's discussion with God was earnest and emphatic based on his knowledge of God's righteousness, as you brought up, surely the judge of all the earth will do right, and a love for the Sodomites despite their wickedness. So God, he sees there's the righteousness of God up here, Mm -hmm. and I honor that, and there's the wickedness, which I recognize has got to go, but at the same time I have a love for that. How do we marry these two together? Mm -hmm. How can we have justice and mercy? And he's pleading with them, and do we do that same thing with God in our prayer life? Do we say, Lord, mm. I recognize who you are and where you are and what you are and, and the justice. Yeah. But at the same time, Lord, I know your heart that you want to save these people. And I want to be about your business here, too. How can we save more people? Is there someone you want me to reach? Do we truly intercede with or we're like, Lord, bless, bless, bless right. the lost, too, and you know, whatever help them. Mm. I don't think that we are zealous enough. At least I'll speak for myself in our earnestness in prayer for the lost. So, I want to close this little section off here with this idea, and I'm glad the lesson brought it out. In Tuesday, paragraph four, why don't you read that last paragraph on Tuesday's lesson about the importance of prayer? Tuesday says, um, do I have the right day? No, that's Our mission, yeah. Our mission cannot be successful without prayer, intercessory prayer. After meeting someone, after giving a sermon or a Bible study, we must pray for the people we have been in contact with. God is heedful of these prayers in touching the hearts of people we have contacted. It is not our words or eloquence that will convert our friends or acquaintances. It is the Holy Spirit. This is why in any mission in which we are engaged, we must pray for each person individually. Now, I want to mm-hmm. highlight something here. God is heedful of these prayers. Mm-hmm. Okay, That means that God respects them. He regards them. He listens to them. Right? That and praise the Lord for that. pray for will be saved. Right. So you could think, well, all right, I've given the Bible study. I've preached the sermon. I've passed out the glow track, whatever you've done. And I've prayed earnestly, just like Abraham did. But does that mean, well, look at the experience of Abraham. Not everyone was saved out of Sodom. They're either going to be saved, or if they're not saved, I, I did something wrong. Right, you could get the, the impression, I didn't pray enough, or yeah. I wasn't fervent, I wasn't righteous in my own life, that there's something. Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad the lesson brought out in Wednesday's, Wednesday's lesson, lesson that the, the other side of that coin, that no matter how earnestly you pray, I mean, it's the desire of God's heart that people be saved, but they're not all going to be mm-hmm. saved. So how do, we, how do we understand that? Well, on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, paragraph 5, it says, The small number of residents of Sodom who were saved has implications for our own mission. Not everyone will be saved. 
goes on to say, free will means that in the end, no matter what we do, no matter how much we pray, salvation comes down to each individual's choice. Mm. So when we pray for people, what are we praying for? We're praying for the influence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We're praying for physical protection, that their life would be extended so they can have more opportunity. We're asking them to, uh, to have every occasion for knowledge and conviction feel in their heart and convincing by the truth. But we cannot expect that God's going to violate their free will and make them say, because we prayed, so that's going to be the magic thing that does it. It doesn't work like that. So we're praying for the influence of God, for the power of God in their life to protect and give them every opportunity for choice. But when the choice is made, we have to say, it might not have been my will, that Mm -hmm. might not even have been God's will, Mm -hmm. but it was their will, and he honors it. That's right. So prayer is one of those things that I think people can get discouraged and say, well, I prayed and nothing happened. But that's mm-hmm. between you and them. I mean, between them and the Lord. Right. Your thing is to keep them in mind, to keep them before the Lord, and work along with those prayers for the salvation of souls. Amen. Anyway, uh, why don't you read their concluding thought here before we get into our challenge sure. for the week. It's found in Patriarchs of Prophets 140 and also Friday's lesson. All around us are souls going down to ruin as hopeless, as terrible as that to a ruin, sorry, mm-hmm. to, to ruin, let me start again, <laughs> all around us are going, our souls going down to ruin, as hopeless, as terrible as that which befell Sodom. Where are the voices of warning and entreaty to bid the sinner flee from this fearful doom? Where are the hands stretched out to draw him back from death? Where are those who with humility and persevering faith are pleading with God for him? Basically, we're living in a society of Sodom right now, and are we being the Abrahams that this generation needs? Well, we can't close without mentioning our challenge challenge and challenge up, up, right? It's found on Thursday's lessons. It talks about how in our cities we face obstacles in preaching the gospel appropriately and effectively. We need to plead with God to intervene. Okay, so that intercessory prayer we were just talking about. And that's where it gets more specific in the challenge up. Find a way to contact someone who is being directly affected by a difficult situation similar to your own. So look for someone who you can relate to, who's Mm -hmm. going through a struggle that you can pray for specifically. Tell that person you're praying for him or her and ask God to show you what you can do to help. Amen. So pray for them, talk to them, and then ask the Lord for an opportunity to minister to them and see how the Lord leads. Yes, All right. Can you give us a word of closing prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you again that we have the privilege of being a part of this mission. And Lord, we do ask that you would increase our um, faithfulness in prayer, our earnestness in prayer for the salvation of the lost. And Lord, you would put on our hearts and on our minds those individuals that we may be able to intercede for. And then, Lord, direct us to those that we can help with and how we can help in practical ways. Father, we thank you for hearing and answering, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.